All right, let's look to the Lord and pray. Ty, can you wait for a second, please? Okay, let's pray. Almighty God, our gracious, loving Father, we are delighted, Lord, that we are in the house of God on the Lord's Day to glorify and worship your glorious name. What a privilege. The clay and the dust have this privilege to lift the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ, on this day, who, has re who is reigning and he will reign forever and ever, who has been victorious over sin, death, and hell. As we are gathered, O oh God, we pray that you minister to us by your glorious Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Will you please minister to each person's need this morning and satisfy as we feast from your word. And may you be praised. We thank you for Janice and all your goodness over these years. And we pray, Father, as you had been her help in the past, continue to be our hope for the days to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, are you excited this morning that you are in the house of God? Amen. I'm excited. I'm truly excited that the Lord has kept me alive to come in the house of God to worship his name. What a privilege, what a privilege. We are so blessed in this country that we can come to worship. There are many, many churches burned even today and many pastors are thrown into fire and burned. And we are so happy that we are not better than those but they are with the Lord, but we are here, and we are grateful. We humble ourselves before God that he has given us another Lord's Day to worship him with health, strength. You know, when the people come in the house of God, I always say, and Pastor Marty knows that, the Lord brings the choicest people in the house of God to worship the Lord. Amen. The Lord brings the choicest people to worship. And we are grateful. And you are the choicest people Amen. this morning because you are here. You could have been somewhere else, but hey, God was pleased to bring you here. And I'm sure you will be blessed. Well, we are studying the book of Job. And I'm sure you have been traveling with Job and his family. Last Lord's, week before last Lord's Day, we considered the several themes in the book of Job. Namely, the sovereignty of God, and we know that. And I want you to register that word sovereignty of God and understand. So anything comes in your life, you hang on, on the character of God who has never denied and who never failed. Do not get anything that is a surprise to me. No, in kingdom of God, there is no surprise. It is always orchestrated by God. For his glory. Always remember, friends. Isaiah 43 and verse 7 and verse 21 says, Thus says the Lord that I have created. I was talking about chosen people, Israel. But if you apply personally, we are chosen people for his glory. You know, this earthly tabernacle will cease, my beloved. But God is Ever and ever liveth. That's what we sang. His glory. His glory. We do not know anything about his glory. 
but one day we will behold his glory. And, and that makes me homesick. I hope that would make you homesick. This world is not our home. Well, I, I'm not getting sidetracked, I'm sorry. But you know, there are several themes we consider last, a week before last, Lord, the sovereignty of God, that whenever you think about God is a sovereign God, that he understands, he knows the beginning, he knows the end, Isaiah 46, verse 10, and also, he's an he's a omnipotent, almighty, omnipresence everywhere, omniscient, all-seeing God. So remember that. Remember that. Our God is over and above anything and everything. Okay, the sovereignty of God. The God controls everything. Number second theme, we consider Satan. And uh, we will consider him more and more. So we you just hang in there. And then we... Uh, the third theme we consider was suffering, you know, suffering um, for, the, for the kingdom of God, for the righteousness. And one of these days when I'm through with uh, Sermon on the Mount or Beatitudes, or 12th verse in Matthew chapter 5 is, Blessed are those who are persecuted or suffering, for there is, there is a much reward for them. Suffering. Why suffering? And, and that is a big theme in, in the book of Job. Why, why righteous suffer? And I'm going to deal with that in a moment. So just hang in there. And then the fourth subject, or fourth thing we consider was um, submission. Submission. And we learn from Job. Well, having said that, let's look, let's jump into right the key figures in the book of Job. The key figures. There are seven key figures in the book of Job. And I want you to pay close attention and we will find out Job is the number one, God, Satan, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu. There are seven figures. And let's touch everything and then why righteous suffer. That is my last. And then God willing, next Sunday onward we'll jump into the first chapter of the book of Job. This is all introduction. So, Job is the theme, first figure. The primary character of this divine drama is Job. The one for whom the book is named. His name may be derived from the Hebrew word persecution. Meaning, the persecuted one. It may come from the Arabic word because he was nearby that area. We, we saw that where he was living. Arabic word meaning repent. In which case, his name would mean the repentant, repentant one. And we know that at the end of chapter, uh, in the book of, uh, book, end of the book of Job 42, we find out that yes, he repented and how much God had blessed him. So that we have Job, number one key figure. Then God. God. I love God. The whole character of God. In this book, the veil that separates heaven from the earth is pulled back. And the reader is allowed to see into the invisible world of heaven and gain the remarkable glimpses of God, of God. It would be argued that God himself, not Job, is the principal character, because God is behind everything. 
everything. And God is behind our life. God is behind everyone's life. You know why? Because he created you. And secondly, you owe him. Thirdly, you are purchased possession of God. So you have no right over you. So he's the principal character of the book of Job. Here we see the sovereignty of God over Satan, circumstances, and his dominion over the human suffering. Let me say it again. This is so important, friends. Write down in your mind that God not only is the sovereign over the whole creation, but he's a sovereign over Satan. Satan cannot function without getting permission from God. Never ever give credit to Satan that Satan did it to me. That is blasphemy. That is blasphemy. Never give credit to Satan. How many people do that today? Because lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are being destroyed by the lack of knowledge. God is a sovereign over Satan, over circumstances. Oh, my circumstances is so much, Pastor, I can't do that. I cannot, I cannot. Oh, my friend, our God is over and above circumstances. Never beneath the circumstances. So don't blame circumstances. Anything come in your life, don't blame circumstances because God controls over the circumstances. So the whole panorama picture of God, I want you to write down in your mind and never to be erased that God is above the circumstances, God is over and above Satan, and God is over and above suffering. Over and above suffering. Because if he, he, know, he knows the beginning and the end, anything comes in your life, suffering, pain, anything, God knows. God knows. And he has allowed for purpose. We need to see the whole picture of God. In your feeble mind, I'm afraid how often we judge God. How often we try to tell God what he should do. And we put God in the box and demand this is what you, God, you have to do. Never do that. Put yourself in a box. And as in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Paul asks, what thou hast for me to do? That's the question we need to ask. So remember, God, over about circumstances, Satan, and also human suffering. Likewise, his perfect wisdom, love, and grace are demonstrated in Job's life. You know, my friends, when God allows... He puts his hand underneath you. So you are not alone. It is God who is carrying you through. The world is watching you. How you handle. In his grace, in his love, in his wisdom, he demonstrated. He demonstrated in Job's life. And we see that every chapter will speak about God who is unsearchable, unscrutable, is made known here in his glorious ways. In this book, we learn that everything in the universe revolves around God. For that, I want you to turn two verses, and it's so wonderful. 
and I wish you will memorize Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, 17, please. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Someone can read loudly, please. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I love these verses. Beautiful, beautiful words. Thank you. Do, you. do you get the word? Do you get the words? What the Holy Spirit pens through Paul? He said, invisible, visible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. Everything was created by God and for him. For him. And when you, when you go last book of last book of the Bible, New Testament, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it said, Thou hast created all things for thy pleasure. I like jumping, you know. Yeah. Thou hast created all things for thy pleasure, not my pleasure, thy pleasure. Like a carpenter who makes so beautiful table. What a pleasure he has in his heart. He worked so hard. And he made it. God, when he has made us, it is for his pleasure. Get the picture, friends. It's not for you. It's for his pleasure. All the power, dominion, authority, principalities, everything for him by him, for him, and him alone. That is our God. That is our God. Then third figure is Satan. Oh, he's a rebellious man. He's a rebellious fallen angel that he is Satan. He is also a primary character in the book of Job. And he is revealed early in the account. Here he's playing a role of accusing God. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. What did he do? Has God said that to you? <laughs> what he was telling? He was putting the doubting. He was taking the authority of God and questioning God. You know, my friends, how often we are victims of that kind of spirit. Satan. He is playing a role of accusing God. You know, he is called the accusing of the brethren, isn't it not? Revelation chapter 12. Day and night, and how did they overcome? By the word of the testimony and the blood of the Lamb. What a privilege. What a privilege. God has blessed us with his testimony of his grace. The student of the Bible finds out the devil is entrusted with extraordinary power to wreck havoc through natural disaster as well as removing man's health and wealth and family. Yes, he has a power. He has a power, but he doesn't operate without God's permission. 
this very concept is really mind-boggling to the fallen creature. How can God do that? My question is, why not? If all the principalities, all the powers, and everything created for him, by him, he has authority and power to do everything what he pleases, not what I pleases. That's why, beloved, we need to understand the whole doctrine of God from Genesis to Revelation. Read the Bible. And when you have a notebook, and I do that, I have piles of notebooks. Have a notebook in your devotion. When you think about God, whatever, when you read, write down. And during this day, during the daytime, you meditate. Uh, when you call your friend, hey, listen, I was reading this and I found out about God. What do you think about that? Gossip the Bible. Gossip the Bible. That's how you master the Bible. That's how you do. Now, Third figure in the book of Job is Eliphaz. There are four friends came to Job. Four friends came to Job. Number first, number one is Eliphaz. <laughs> you know, they are, they, are, they are interesting figure. They are really interesting figure. And sometimes you wish, I wish I would not have a friend like this. Eliphaz. What do we learn about Eliphaz? We are going to go in detail, but just bird view of Eliphaz. This is the first of Job's friends to speak. Eliphaz is a Temanite, a man who was most likely a citizen of Timan, a city of Edom, appearing on the scene after Job's second hellish attack, along with two brothers, two friends, this man challenges Job that he is suffering because of his own sin. You know, my friends, it is easy to blame somebody. Point the finger. But they forget the three fingers is pointing to them. Job, that he is suffering because of his sin. Eliphaz tends to speak as theologian. Theologian. Relying heavily upon observation and experience. Eliphaz uses very harsh words. Re reasoning that only the wicked suffer. Only the wicked suffer. Job is suffering because of he has sinned. Eliphaz speaks three long messages or discourses in the book of Job. In chapter 4 to chapter 4 and 5, chapter 15 and chapter 22. All these three chapters, Job, uh, Eliphaz is the theologian speaking, accusing Job that he has sinned and because of that he is uh, going through this situation which, which, uh, uh, which because of his sin. Then another uh, character is uh, Bildad. Bildad. This friend is the second to speak to Job. Bildad is a Shuhite, 
which may mean that he is a descendant of Abraham through Keturah. You remember in Genesis chapter 25, Sarah passed away. He buried and he found another one, Keturah. And through Keturah, he had several descendants. So this is, Bildad was a descendant of Keturah. His counsel to Job also comes in a three long discourse in chapter 8, 18 and 25. As he speaks as the one who relies upon the tradition and the history. And we'll find out. We'll find out how he relies on the history and tradition. He also, he also um, confides in Job the very same message that Eliphaz speaks, yet in a stronger terms. His counsel is, you must be sinning in present time. Why you're going through this? Because you are sinning. Because you're sinning. If you would repent, God would remove your suffering. His name means son of contention. Is that it true? His name is Son of Contention. That is Eliphaz. As, uh, as, uh, what is this? Bildad. Bildad. Zophar is the third figure in the, uh, in the book of Job. Zophar. The third friend to counsel Job is Zophar um, Nematite making him a residence of the unknown surrounding location, probably in Edom or Arabia. Zophar speaks with even greater intensity than Eliphaz and Bildad, and he shows himself to be blunt moralist and dogmatist, addressing Job in only two discourses. Zophar is a rude probably out of growing frustration as he relies heavily on an assumption. He is the voice of orthodoxy, unbending and pointing, declaring to Job, you are sinning and if you do not repent, your life is on earth will be short. Will be short. Short-lived. So Zophar lives up to his own name, Zophar means rough. <laughs> and he was rough. He was rough. Another uh, figure is um, Elihu. This is the fourth. Yeah, he was a young man. He was waiting, watching what these three friends were talking about. So um, Elihu, a fourth counselor appears on the scene after the first three friends speak their minds. His name is Elihu, which means he is my God. Elihu means he is my God. Although he was a young than other three, but Elihu speaks with a greater perception. Applying sounder logic, he addresses the issue correctly the fourth one patiently waits his turn to speak and reasons with Job that God purifies and teaches through man's suffering. 
That's very true, is it not? Is it not that's so true that God purifies? And Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of the Hebrew talks about that. As the father chastens, as the father disciplines for the best, God does to us. That we're, that's why we, do, we should not despise the discipline of God. We should never despise the discipline of God. And we need to learn how God disciplines. When you disobey God, the consequences are there. But God forgives. But the consequences are there. But then there is a rod of chastening from the hand of God. Why? Not because he is hostile or angry with us, but because he expects the best from us. All those who have children, my friends, how, when they were born, you were hoping that they would become the wonderful boy and girl. You expected. That was your standard. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. When God has created us, and when God has recreated in his son Jesus Christ, he expects us that we should be the trophy of his grace. How often we are, we, are, we, are, we are sorry for our children because what we expected, it did not come true. And same with God. How often God says, I relent, I grieve. That was the word in the Bible. And that's why the judgment always comes. His counsel to Job is the best and the speaking longer than others, for he spoke 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37. Six chapters. Elihu provides the wisest insight in the book of Job. So these are Job uh, friends who came to help Job. <laughs> and Job said, you're worthless counselor. Your worthless counselor. Stay away. <laughs> Instead of helping him, they were hurting him. Do we have friends like that? I know we have. We expected that they would come and stand with us, but they turned their back. And we are grieving for them. Now, the big subject, why do the righteous suffer? This is a big theme. Why do the righteous suffer? If you read the book of Job, you will find out the vindication of God's justice in the light of man's suffering. God is God and we who we are. If God allows, then God ends. If God allows, he ends when the purpose is fulfilled. In order to see his purpose fulfilled, what is my 
responsibility under God, submission. That is a hard part. Submission. And we have no clue because we did not have a king over us. In other countries, in India, we had a British rule and the uh, and the Rolls Royce and all kinds of people were ruling over. So all they demanded submission from the subjects. In America, we have no clue what it means to be submit to the authority. In the book of Job, we see and we find out the vindication of God's justice in the light of man's suffering, especially suffering of the righteous people. This is a very hard, hard subject. I remember one person uh, came to Hasu and he said, I cannot understand the book of Job. Because when we have a glasses of the human heart and human reasoning, it is hard to understand God. We need to take off and ask God to give you a glass where you understand and see the truth. That's why I say over and over again, and next Lord's Day we will sing the mystery of God, this beautiful song, and I'll, uh, by um, the man who wrote the song, uh, um, Emmanuel's Fountain, what is that song? There is a fountain from Emmanuel's way. That's the man who composed this song, and God willing, will sing next Sunday. It's beautiful, beautiful. Theologically, so rich. And you understand. And he writes, don't interpret God according to what you think God should be. That's a hard thing. That's the miserable thing. God is God. Again and again, I say that. So, but it is God who vindicates. The problem of the righteous undergoing divinely sent suffering is addressed and, uh, in the book of Job. It is hard for a human mind to know that God is seen reigning sovereignly over man's suffering as he appoints it for his own glory. On this side of the river, beloved, on this side of the river, you will never ever understand. But don't judge God. Submit to him. One day if it pleases you, one day it pleases him, he will reveal to us. Paul writes so beautifully in 1 uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 13, in the last two verses, Right now we see in the mirror, but then we will behold. And Revelation chapter 21, eight and nine verses, then the old order is gone. The new order will understand. understand. Remember that. Remember that. So it is hard for a human mind to know that God is seen reigning sovereignly over man's suffering as he appoints it for his own glory. Further, God is seen using Satan in inflicting the pain of the righteous. Of the righteous. The pressing question, 
one can ask, will the righteous praise God even in tough times? Will the righteous worship God in the midst of adversity? In 1955, five missionaries went to Ecuador. Ecuador. Patrick and Wendy. Patrick comes from Ecuador. We have a nice movie, so we watched together. Where five missionaries, and especially Jim, was first was speared in the river. And a man who speared, we met him in California. Wonderful story. Wonderful story. New York Times, as a liberal as it was, and so it is, and so it will be. New York Times had headlines about these five missionaries who were gunned down, or spears and murdered. He said, five fools gave their life. What do you expect from New York Times? They are fools because they don't believe God. They went all this expectation that they're going to reach out people, but in a moment, they were speared and killed. And people began to question, where is God? Why? Where is God? You know, God was not concerned about these five missionaries because he knew they are going to be with him. Bigger picture. Understand bigger picture. But what happened afterwards? The man who speared Jim Elliot first he was the first to convert. In the same river, the blood spill. In the same river, he was baptized. Tell me, is it not God? God was saying that salvation of Ecuadorians. Five people gave their life. And the church history has written, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. If God chooses, so let it be. I don't question. I submit. I submit. Get a bigger picture. Bigger picture. God is using Satan in inflicting the pain. Self-righteous worship God or question God, or doubt God in adversity. The study of Job refutes the false view that the suffering is caused by one's own sin. It may be, it may be, not always. This was prevalent view in the Job's time as well as in Jesus' time. You remember in John chapter 9, the man was blind and they brought to Jesus Christ and asked the question, did he or his parents sin? And what did Jesus say? The work of God be manifested. See the bigger picture. The work of God be manifested. We can see the predominant thought expressed in the counsel of Job's friends. Question remains, why do the righteous suffer? 
The answer is the righteous suffer because God, according to his infinite wisdom, chooses them to suffer. That is the very hard pill to swallow, beloved. If God chooses me to go through pain, so his grace be manifested, would I rejoice or would I question God? If God would like me to be object of his grace, praise be to the Lord no matter what. Because he has authority over my body. When he has purchased me, let me ask you this question. When you buy a car and title deed is clear, can you ever think the old owner comes and says, this is my car? That's the foolishness. You already signed up. Now you own the car, he doesn't. When you came to the cross, you have given the transaction, it is his. We are purchased possession of God, we have already signed. So then he said, Lord, whatever you want to do, we, we sing that song, have, have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. How often we truly believe and understand. Why do the righteous suffer? The answer is the righteous suffer because God is according to his infinite wisdom chooses them to suffer. At first thought, this may appear unfair and unjust, but it is the book of Job. The reader is allowed to go behind the scenes to see a higher purpose of God. Higher purpose of God. Behind Job's suffering, although Job lost the great deal but what happened? He gained a double. He gained the double. Through this fiery trial, he perseveres and becomes even stronger, more mature believer than ever before. Um, uh, Job 45, 42 verse 5. More importantly, more importantly, anguish and experiences used by God it's unbelievable. To show the sovereign working of God for his glory. He became an example for endurance. That's why Ezekiel 14, James chapter 5 talks about, look at the suffering of Job. What did uh, Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says? Quickly, somebody can read loudly. Romans chapter 15 verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Thank you, Ty. Look at the last word. We might have hope. And Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4, he writes that we are comforted so we might be a comforter to other people. We have come to the point that we should not depend in our own strength. We came very close to death so we rely on God more than ourselves. 
so wonderful so wonderful so in the bigger picture the person who undergoes painful suffering must remember that his life is part of much grandeur scheme that he would ever imagine satan is always pressing to destroy god's plans by attacking them that what he did in matthew 4 and luke 4 if you are a son of god then you have a power to do work independently of god and you can do that so jesus would not say not my will but thy will be done but my will be done that was his plan honor is given to god when the righteous endure suffering patiently therefore believers can face the trials and the tribulation and triumphantly known they are appointed for god's glory you know i, I was reading in the book of job one verse is so beautiful i wanted to learn uh, turn to uh, book of job 35 verse 10 Job 35 verse 10 The nun saith where is God my maker who giveth song to me much Ah thank you pastor Marty Oh keep the bible open let me explain to thee this this verse so beautiful verse No one says where is God my maker and then he says who gives songs in the night If God wants to give song in the night If 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 the God if God wants to give song, then He has to create night. You understand? You understand this this verse. If God wants to give a song, then first He has to create the night. Then you can hear the song. in closing i would like to quote two quotation one is uh, bishop layton and one is charles hedden spurgeon Re- listen to this it's awesome extraordinary afflictions according to layton bishop layton at bishop layton of britain extraordinary extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extra extraordinary sins but sometimes get this word sometimes the trials of extraordinary graces god hath many sharp cutting instruments and rough files for polishing of his own jewels and those who and those who he especially loves and he and means to make the most replendent he hath oftenest his tools upon them it is very hard charles spurgeon writes so beautifully i like charles spurgeon he said that i bear willing witness that i owe more to the fire and hammer and the file f i l e file than to anything else in my lord's workshop I sometimes question whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod. 
What did David say? Thy rod, discipline rod, comforts me. Charles Spurgeon says that I, whether I have ever learned anything except through the rod, when my schoolroom is darkened, I see the most. How true it is, my friends. Oh, beloved, I hope this might be a, some kind of encouragement to you. And we'll jump on, God willing, next Lord's Day, first chapter, the book of Job. So fasten your seatbelt and come prepared. Read Job chapter 1, and you will be blessed. All right, let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you've given us this time where we have feasted from your word. Yes, Lord, we do understand our finite understanding of the infinite wisdom of God. But yet, O oh, Holy Spirit of God, you are the teacher and you are the truth. So make my people understand your truth so they can grow in the knowledge of the truth. Prepare us, Lord, for the worship service and glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.